Welcome to Arvid and Tyler Catch Up. I'm Arvid. I'm Tyler. Let's catch up. Mm. How have you been? Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm much, much, much better. Um, yeah, if, if folks listened to last week, I, I was like coming off of a pretty serious illness and a whole bunch of, of dramatic change in the business kind of all at once. So I was just like sort of frantically trying to just tread water. Right. Um, and yeah, I'm healthy. Uh, been spending, you know, most of the last you know, a week or so, uh, just like heads down, reviewing applications, talking to founders, all the the fun parts of my job. So I'm I'm really good. Yeah, I'm happy yeah. to hear it. Yeah, that that was quite the week. Like you got yeah. everything at the same time. Like yeah, when it rains, it it rains some more, and then it pours, and then it rains again. Right? It's it's really really bad. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to to see you smile again. I mean, you always keep try to keep a smile on, I guess, but uh, it comes from a deeper, <laughs> more more healthy place. This time. Yeah. These are just our uh, our moments to uh, to practice being calm, right? The yeah. universe is just giving us uh, a couple of workouts for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's 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 always this time of year when my my allergies start kicking in, so mm. I'm you know like uh, I always get a little bit frustrated with just breathing, and that right. is also a nice opportunity to just practice calmness because you know a calm breath is a less agitated one, and it kind of keeps your uh, your body and a, and a better mood as well. So yeah, I I'm certainly certainly glad to just know that there is a way to deal with all these things. Right? Is Not it, that my my life was as stressful as yours over the last couple of days, but it's just you know it's nice to know. Uh, total tangent. But have you read the book Breath by I think James uh, Nestor? It's sort of somewhat recent, last couple of years. Okay, oh. especially if you have allergies, uh, definitely recommend it. Very, very cool book. Uh, literally, just all about like the science and practice of breathing. Um, mm. And I just read it; it was like super timely. It was dealing with like allergies and sinus infection, the whole thing, and um, very cool. It's it's very frustrating when you literally can't breathe. It's like, hey, breathing is super important, and like not doing it well is really bad for you. And you're like, great, I can't breathe through my nose. Um, but <laughs> when you kind of get like back up and you can do it, there's a whole bunch of like practices and um, kind of just like mindfulness around breathing correctly that I found mm. super interesting um, and also just like really easy to to put in practice day to day so i would definitely recommend oh, cool that. Yeah. yeah thanks so much well you know the problem with having some sort of disposable income is that yeah. every time somebody recommends a book i immediately have to buy it because i have, yeah. I have no reason not to <laughs> it's the worst yeah. that's uh i guess a champagne problem right here but yeah thanks for that a suggestion yeah. I, I will definitely do this i already I, I i look into these kind of books in particular just trying to figure out the the, the basic concepts of life like mm -hmm. uh, why we sleep by walker mm -hmm. was was another book like this and yeah. even though a lot of scientists have a lot of opinions you know like the specifics of what what people um in, in that field that try to make it more popular like mm -hmm. they kind of skim over certain things and certain things may not work as well as they wanted to for for the cohesiveness of the argument but i still love having some level of insight so thanks for that uh, i'm i'm mm -hmm. very much looking forward to doing this i i've been uh, amplifying my reading schedule um mm -hmm. Since we're talking about what we're doing, because I'm I'm trying to get back into a writing habit for the book that I want to write, not just for mm -hmm. my weekly writing, which I also enjoy quite a lot and I, I get a lot of fun of. But you know, a, a more extensive project, my my build build in public book project, essentially. Sure. And I've talked about this a lot over the last couple of weeks. There are little things happening here or there. And I think last week I talked about how, well, should I like self-publish or should I go the traditional route, right? We had that conversation and um, Brendan Dunn has been really 
helpful because he's publishing one right now the traditional way and he's been uh, trying to encourage me to to go the traditional way as well it was really nice because you know it's it's hard to break into an industry that has certain expectations that for us indie founders indie creators they, they feel quite outlandish but like the yeah. idea of trying to have mass appeal goes against anything that we learn as indie hackers to niche down and you know be specific and mm-hmm. have people that it's for and some people or a lot of people who it's not for the traditional industry is slightly different. So the way you even talk to people about this is also different, right? If you want to pitch your, your project to somebody, you, you don't, you don't pitch a book that is for a couple hundred thousand people. You, right. you say essentially, this is what James Clear has done, but mm-hmm. for a different audience, right? F- effectively be the most applicable way of looking at the thing you're writing about. So. I'm trying to deal with this, like uh, getting so much encouragement from people that tell me that I should go bigger than what my aspirations are right now. Mm. So can't really go into specifics here, but I'm I'm talking to agents now, like actual like agents to to maybe help me find a deal somewhere. So that is exciting because it's again one of these things. I have no idea how to even deal with a conversation that I have with an agent, which is supposedly a win-win situation, but I still don't even know how to approach that. To, you know, to not scare them away or to not overpromise. And we can talk about like uh being honest and, and not over committing, you know, in, in the things that we promise in, in a minute or two. But I you know it's it's kind of hard. It's hard to to get into a completely new field when you're so comfortable in the field you're in right now right my indie people like i can i can write a book i can self-publish it and i know that there's thousands if not tens of thousands of people who would support me immediately because they like what i write anyway and they would just give it a try yeah but there is a level beyond that and it requires a very different approach and i'm as scared as i am excited to go into that world so that's i'm trying to grow you know like as a person sure (laughs) kind of of course, out right. At least, even if you decide not to go that route, having gone through the process and and you know creating the option to evaluate it is is sounds like a super valuable process. Regardless, mm-hmm. how did you? Um, is the way you connect with agents still pretty much just through referrals from other authors? Is it? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's all back channel, like, and that's the thing that I find yeah. kind of uh, it's it's funny. I want to write a book about building in public, the right. idea of attracting attention and credibility through your work that you present to people without going in the, into DMs or behind uh, people's backs in in a, in a beneficial and positive way, and yet. To be able to write the book the way I wanted to write, I have to employ these mechanisms. It's kind of, it, it does introduce a lot of doubt in me and into my ca- capacity to both hold the thoughts, you know, the cognitive dissonance of wanting to write about this thing, but having to do things that don't really necessarily align with it to get to the point where I then can do it. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very complicated way, but yes, uh, there's a lot of back channel stuff, a lot of introductions, a lot of referrals, a lot of asking people to do you a favor and then, you know, promising something in return and people not even talking to you if you don't have a referral that kind of stuff that is very real and in the the league that i'm trying to play it is extremely hard to get anywhere because i i, if I thought like might just as well go big right mm-hmm. go go to the people who have been um supporting these extremely popular books and make making them real helping people that uh, i've seen succeed incredibly 
so I, I want to be in that league if I even try. So why not, sure. right? Because I might just as well shoot for the stars. So yeah, I've, I've been doing this. Um, cool. Yeah, and, and, and the other side of this is I still want to talk to my self-published friends. So we talked a lot about Paul Miller last week. And yeah. I think even the week before. We've been mentioning that guy quite a bit. And uh, I, I got him to uh, um, commit to a podcast interview with me, which is nice. So I'm going to chat Great. with him next week. And then that'll that'll be on the show. I'm really looking forward to talking but to, to him. Like he's been he's been quite supportive of this show, which I'm extremely grateful for, right? He put it into his newsletter as well and, and referenced our conversation there. And from that alone, people have actually reached out to me. Like I saw your thing in Paul's newsletter. So here's my opinion, which is one of the best feelings for anybody who who has friends. <laughs> it's nice to have friends that help you with these kind of things to reach more people. So that was yeah. cool. So I'm I'm very excited for that. If you have anything that you think I should ask him, let me know. Like here or you know, through back channels, because I'm I just I just want to make this an extremely interesting conversation. And I, I remember that you've actually like hung out with him a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago. So if if you have anything anything nice and surprising <laughs> that would surprise him, let me know. <laughs> I'd be super curious to hear you two riff on, you know, maybe like almost designing. So it's funny the parallels between like the traditional publishing industry and the traditional like venture capital industry, right? In terms of like you have to get everything through a warm intro and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And like, I want, I'd be curious to hear you two riff on maybe designing like a calm fund for books, right? Like what would that mm. look like? What would it have? What would it not have? That sort of thing. You know, h- how would you maybe have an open application process for, you know, a publisher or something like that? You know, I don't know. Um, maybe just like as both being prospective consumers of that, you know, what would you want to see? Um, not that I can promise that I'm going to do it, but somebody might do it and that would be great. <laughs> well, if there's any person that would at least be able to teach me how to do it, it would probably be you. So that, that is really cool. Um, obviously if, if, if you, if you wanted to be involved, obviously I prefer that. Cause you know, like I'm, I'm the writer and, and you're, you're the guy who knows how to, um, do fun stuff. Talk about fun stuff. What what happened? What's happening in the calm fund right now? Let me know how your week went with that. Um, basically, good stuff in the sense that you know we had a bunch of big changes that we had to work through the last couple of weeks, and now I'm back to the good stuff, which is I'm just heads down. You know, my calendar looks a lot more like your calendar with lots of large blocks, <laughs> of no zooms and no meetings for a while, uh, just reviewing applications. Um, and then and then I did do a ton of um of founder meetings uh, this week. Basically, my calendar mm-hmm. is just with them. So I'm just heads down doing what is really the fun part of my job, I think, is just like analyzing new businesses and then talking to founders about, you know, what they what they need to to get to the next level. So yeah, super fun, super exciting. Yep. Yeah. It sounds so much better than what happened over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. ups yeah. and downs, right? Uh, it's really cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. No, it's great. Um well I think we should talk about something. Um, Yeah, I think so too. Let's see. How do we unpack this? So I think what I would love to, maybe I'll just actually, you've been grappling with this much more directly. So I'm kind of curious, maybe we'll just ask you the question. So I've been thinking a lot about, um, well, maybe here's a bit of backstory. So, uh, you, you know, you know this, but some people might know, you know, way back in the day, I don't even know, maybe seven, eight years ago, I started writing like an ebook called it the Microsass ebook. I like learned a bunch of things about 
bootstrapping these small, you know, uh, SaaS businesses, micro SaaSs, et cetera. Um, learned a bunch of stuff, you know, got a bunch of good advice for a bunch of different people and just started aggregating it into this ebook. And I never finished it. And the main reason why I didn't finish it, so I did publish each chapter by chapter. So a lot of people did get some value out of the chapters, but I never kind of like finished it as a project. And the main thing that kind of derailed me was this kind of like variation of imposter syndrome, right? Which was, it's so hard to give advice in this space without starting to feel like you're creeping into the whole nasty get rich quick, you know, kind of scheme online, right? You know, and and there's kind of there's varying degrees from like the super extreme obvious fraudster huckster kind of crowd to people who have like pretty good advice but are probably embellishing quite a lot and then still, you know, selling you stuff on it. And I just was I just felt kind of icky as I kind of started to wade more and more in there and I just couldn't properly calibrate you know, I'd write something and then I would add like 17 caveats to it because I didn't want to come across as a, as a huckster. But then I'd be like, well, this is crap writing, you know, <laughs> like nobody wants to read this. It's not to the point. Um, and I just kind of got stuck there. So first question I'd like to hear is, you know, you've been writing in a, this similar genre for a while and very consistently. How do you think about and grapple with that? Or does that even you know resonate with you at all? Oh man, it resonates so much with me on so yeah. many levels. Like from just writing anything that I write, like I I'll always have this feeling of, am I even qualified to do this, to talk about this? Not necessarily to do it because I've often literally done the thing that I write about. I try to stay very close to my actual experience. But um, when it comes to it, just making kind of extrapolations from stuff, like I always wonder, like, is this just me trying to act like I know something, you know, it's, that's my imposter syndrome. It's like, am I even capable of making this, making this, this uh, claim, right? Not, mm. not if it's a claim true, but should I be making the claim? Very, mm. very big problem that I have. And I, I, I have this, not just in writing, I have this in anything that I do, like on Twitter, when I talk about my work, biggest problem. Like I, I don't want to promise the wrong thing, right? That's one mm. of the biggest things uh, that, that I, biggest issues that I run into uh, when I market my, my course, my Twitter course, like it's, it's, it's basically me telling people how to not be inauthentic. That's the course. The course is like, just be yourself. Here are the couple of ways that you can engage with people and still be honest. <laughs> That's mm. what the course is, right? Here's a building in public schedule you can use that I've seen people successfully use. That is real because it actually happened. And here's what an audience is. Here's what a community is. This is how you can think about this, where you can go and find people. There's no promise in the course to like within an hour, you make $10,000 or anything like this, right? That That is the huckster kind of level of, of stuff that they try to sell you on. Like within right. a day, you grow your Twitter following by a thousand people. You could probably do this if you um, were to offer people... Um, a free MacBook if you if they follow you and then never you know never follow through you could probably do this so you could get a lot of followers it, it wouldn't just it just wouldn't last so right. anything that sounds like this even remotely sounds like this like even if you take this course you will automatically guaranteed grow your Twitter following mm -hmm. I I, just, I can't say this i cannot like for the life of me make the promise that this will help you because there's always a chance it won't and for that reason my mind is like well then you shouldn't ever promise anything at all it's a right. big problem so i've i've learned to um like what you said wrap my 
strong statements into qualifiers where I say, um, from my own experience, this is what I think, right? Or like, uh, this might not be true for everybody, but yeah, or you still have to put in your own effort to make this happen. But this strategy usually tends to, you know, the, the stuff that makes it boring. I still right. put this in. I then yeah. um, I, I have an editorial step in most of the things I do, both on Twitter when I write my tweets or in writing when I do my articles or my books or whatever. I still read through and try to find the the points where my imposter syndrome is very very clearly showing, and then mm -hmm. condense them into a phrase that may or may not be less intense than the thing that I already have written in the draft. But yeah, I struggle with this all the time. Like even now talking about um, the things that, that we've been talking about, like you, you notice like with me in publishing and stuff, I still don't feel like a writer that even deserves to get this kind of attention from sure. agents that work with other writers that have made it right. It mm -hmm. is, it is bizarre. And I, I have to actively learn vocabulary to talk about my own work. That is both optimistic and truthful. And and that's one of the biggest problems. We can we can talk about this later. But I want to be optimistic and promise opt. Okay. Sorry, like, what did you say? Yeah, yeah. I was just reiterating that. I like that optimistic and truthful. Okay. Yeah, because that's hard, right? You, you talking about anything in the future that you want to do, you you cannot be honest about it because it hasn't happened yet. Like mm -hmm. how, how can you how are you supposed to make a bold claim about something that you're probably gonna achieve if you put the work work into it, but that hasn't happened yet? It is yeah. such a I, I may be overthinking this. <laughs> I have right. a strong feeling I am, but mm -hmm. That's that's what keeps me, right? I I have a lot of optimism in my life and I have a lot of knowledge that I can do it. I have a lot of hope, maybe. That's the best mm -hmm. word here, that I get there. But since it's not a clear guaranteed thing, I would rather not talk about it than to promise too much and then be shown or, or show in public that I didn't reach it. Yeah. That makes sense. I think, um, so... I think that makes a lot of sense to be very, very careful about promising results or essentially just don't promise results at all. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think about stuff that is a little less clear, right? Which would be more extrapolating. And I think specifically, like, I think maybe even build like when you wrote the Bootstrap Founder, right? You know, which, because mm -hmm. I, I think like grow your audience is sort of like, if it doesn't quite deliver on, you know, maybe people, even though you're not making a promise of results, people sort of expect that there's some promise of results, but if they don't grow their audience, like it's not the end of the world, right? You know, okay, like it's important. They did pay money for the thing. They should get some value, but it's not the end of the world. But, you know, if we're talking about how to build a business or what kind of business to build, it could be that people are going to sink a year of their life or they're going to quit their job or they're going to put $100,000 of their savings at risk. You know, mm -hmm. when you do that, how do you think about the same question, but, you know, even just advice, right? Even, you know, hey, here's how to think about niching or here's the right way to test and to know when you validated the product and when to double down, you know, how do you know when to go full time on a project, that sort of thing. I don't know. How do you feel about like <laughs> writing around that? I mean, it's hard, right? <laughs> yeah, oh man, it's uh, one of the the reasons that my I think my introduction to to the first book to Zero to Sold has been that uh, all of the things that I'm writing about are like drawn from my own experience. So mm -hmm. you will find some of these things work for you and some not. It really depends on the unique circumstances of your own experience. This is both um uh, the book uh, a kind of a, a guidebook because it has topics and themes and 
a narrative of something that has happened, right? It's an extrapolation of, of knowledge. And I, I've been writing about advice too. It's gotten meta. I've written like two or three articles on my own blog about how to take advice or not take advice <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I struggle with this, right? I, yeah. I wanted to have something in writing about my own thoughts to kind of say, yes, advice is useful when deliberately applied to the unique context and circumstances of your own life. You can, you can look like what is the person doing that is giving that advice? Like in what context has this advice been kind of formulated? Where does it originate from? Is that just a guess that they mm -hmm. make or is there some data to back it up? And if so, is that data like applicable to my situation? Could that happen to me? Or, you know, context is a big thing. So I always try to give people at least a hint that this is not a recipe like i, I don't even okay. recipes come with with phrases that are quite wishy-washy because you know like cook the thing what does that mean like what temperature mm. should i cook it at and if you have a temperature range should i go up or down depending on the size of the whatever right it's right like even recipes are unspecific and still should to get you to a certain result and mm. i feel with our advice that comes from such unique and um i, I guess a high potential margin for error activities mm. like most of, of us like you and i we we run several but not dozens of businesses ourselves but we're exposed to many businesses particularly you because you see the insides of all all these bootstrap businesses so sure. maybe for you it's even more than for me i try to have a lot of mentees and a lot of people that i follow on their own journey so i still have that level of insight that you have just through the fund but mm. In, in many ways, our unique personal history of entrepreneurial experience comes from a couple of events, right? right. I had yeah. a, a lot That's of things that didn't work. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. Quite constrained. I, I had a, a lot of experiences where things didn't work out. So that is great. And a couple where it did, but you know, like anything that comes and is extrapolated from that, I kind of have to give people the story of how this experience came to be with the advice. I think that's how I do it. That's which is why you find in in the things that I write about, unless it's about somebody else's story, I always try to pull my own experience in there so that people can, if they're interested in following this advice, follow like the trail of story back to where it came from. That's mm. how I deal with it. It's kind of just abstracting away this this layer of oh I'm great, <laughs> which it does not exist. I mean that's what the, where the huckster thing comes in, where right. people just say I know. So here is, here is what you should do, right? And then you ask him, well, where do you know it from? It doesn't matter. This is the truth. I would yeah. never, ever uh, argue anything like this about my advice, knowing that a lot of the advice that I took as a founder when I was building my business didn't work out for me. So, sure. yeah. and, and it, it worked for others. So that there is no, no factual truth to the advice. It is so contextual that. You know, any advice that I take is contextualized. So I assume that people that read mine have to recontextualize what I tell them as well. Have you ever had like a, uh, I guess negative, but maybe just any interaction, but let's just say negative first question, like along these lines, a negative interaction with someone in your audience from anything that you've written, your, you know, your books, your newsletter, your podcast recently, where somebody says, you know, along this specific thing where they're like, oh, this is bad advice, or these guys don't know what they're talking about, or, you know, anything like that? Like, or do you think you've always kind of like, given it enough of a wrapper that it just never comes up? Honestly, I, I couldn't give you a clear example that's stuck in my mind. So I think I've, I've been successful enough in 
it not overpromising or not uh not maybe even not even selling to the wrong people because most of the time this kind of response comes from people who were looking for something else right. and then are trying to kind of force the thing that doesn't work for them into their life it doesn't work and then they get mad which is you know like m m if you look at most amazon reviews there's the saying that a good book on amazon can never have a five star rating because right. it has to be wrong for somebody And right. those people then tend to give you a one-star review because, they, you know, it was wrong and it's not their fault because why would it ever be their fault? So they have yeah. a good complaint that they pulled out of somewhere and they put it on Amazon. So mm -hmm. that's that's kind of, that's that's what I, I, I strive for, a 4.7 rating on Amazon. <laughs> that's what I'm going for. And I think both my my books are there at this point, I think around in that range. And I'm, I'm yeah. happy getting responses from people who it wasn't for because then I can see that the way I wrote it was actually for the people that quite like it right? right that are smart enough to see that this is not a recipe this mm -hmm. is a companion that you can reference and ask a question and they might give you something back and then you have to kind of still fit it into your reality but i think i've been successful i do remember something but you know what i remember about it, it it's not the thing that this person was complaining about i think it was on twitter about something that i said it was the incredibly strong community response of my followers who just kind of argued strongly against what that person was saying. And it wasn't like a mob that descended on them. It wasn't a shitstorm or anything like it. But I think I have curated not only um, a good way of talking about the things that I'm talking about, but also curated a highly supportive and positive group of people around my work that will defend it but in a nice and empowering way. Like in a, they actually try to teach instead of just hate, which is the Twitter default, I guess, and yeah. object, right? This kind of yeah. thing that where people just listen to you to object and <laughs> to find something to object to. They were actually trying to convince that person that their perspective was just undereducated in a certain way and they tried to educate them. It was really nice. So mm. I, I think leading with kindness gets people that are kind into your boat and then they start you know if, if the boat is rocking they try to balance it out it's it's really it's been quite quite helpful for me i think so yeah i, I like what you said about a good book shouldn't have a five-star rating and i've been kind of wondering like if if that's a pretty good lens to view a lot of other media as well, right? You know, that uh, your tweets shouldn't have, like not yours, like one's tweets shouldn't have a five-star rating. Excuse me. You know, your your advice shouldn't have a five-star rating, right? Like like everything should be maybe 5% controversial or something like that. Um, I don't know. I'm, I've been thinking about that. Like, because I think like I, I know for sure for myself, I'm like, you know, biologically sort of hardwired to try to be as epistemologically correct as I possibly can, right? Like, here's what I think I know. Here's what I'm pretty sure I know. Here's what I know I don't know. Here's the area where unknown unknowns might be, you know, like really not trying to say anything that I don't know and really calibrate it. And Like a while back, I made a small change. I used to write just tweets with all a lot of those caveats. You know, in my opinion, this or that or the other. And it's kind of like, I think I cannot for the life of me remember who said it, but somebody just told me like, it's a tweet. Like, in my opinion is implied, right? They know it's not a citation in an academic journal, you know, or a line from the New York Times. It's a tweet. So like, just say the thing. And honestly, that was good advice, right? I mean, not only did it make the tweets, you know, perform better in any objective sense, but it also generated 
better conversation, including, you know, incentivizing the most insightful kind of critiques or, or counter replies mm-hmm. to the ideas. When you really make something seem like it has the appropriate amount of uncertainty attached, people don't feel compelled to correct you. They're like, oh, well, this guy's just saying, you know, his opinion, knowing that it's probably not right. Uh, but obviously, they, if you just assert something as true, you also get like the strongest pushback from the, you know, maybe the smartest or best counter argument. So it's been a positive change. Mm-hmm. I wonder about applying that to this domain specifically, right? You know, um, are, and basically I think you are very similar. I mean, I don't know if I think you would agree. Like you're Mm -hmm. like, if there's a whole spectrum, you know, going all the way from like, I don't know who to call out, like Andrew Tate or some of these guys, you know, is on the far side of just like completely making up all kinds of stuff. Um, And then there's us like way over here. I think we're like very, very, very close. And I almost wonder like, is that, you know, like, is it actually imposter syndrome, right? Imposter syndrome is not, is a thing that's like, not like, yeah, you're correct. You're not as good at this as you think. Imposter syndrome is a syndrome where you're supposed to counteract it, right? You're supposed to kind of feel like, you know, you're not, um, you're not ready for this, but you actually are. Do we have a little bit of imposter syndrome around kind of business advice, right? Should we be trying to move that dial a little bit and assert things with more, less uncertainty bars around them. Um, what do you think? <laughs> well, th- I think there's a good reason why uh, lawyers or non-lawyers, let's just say that, whenever they talk about legal things, put the disclaimer, I am not a lawyer in front of it, right? Like if, you, if you're not a legal expert, but you have a legal opinion, mm. it can get tricky. So you put the disclaimer in front of it. And that, that is uh, one of the extremes because anything that has like a, a legal implication or financial sure. advice, that kind of stuff, there are clear social rules to advice like this. And if it's given in a manipulative way, or it's just plain wrong, then you can be held accountable for that advice. And I think we are with our advice, like any business building thing, we're kind of in between these two, right? Like we, yeah. we are stuck between accountability, right? There's no way that's yeah. held accountable for saying like, Oh, this sector is overrated. Don't build there. And then somebody or, or the vice versa, everybody should be building an X. Somebody goes and builds a business and loses a bunch of money. Like there's no liability, you know, to me in their way, yeah. in the way there is like tax advice or legal advice or whatever, but um, yeah. sorry. I don't think there should be either, but it is a, it is an interesting kind of opposing end, right? Because like we, we look at our advice and we kind of, we, we, we try to be careful. We could both be very, like we could be like chat GPT and be, be very, very uh, convinced that what we say is true, <laughs> you know, because chat GPT as it writes, it's, it's super convincing. It's very, uh, yeah, it, it feels like the ChatGPT knows exactly what it's talking about in the way that it writes, right? It, it's, it's trying to be very clear in that way. And I don't. So I think there is a level of imposter syndrome in there, but I was, I was just thinking you, you mentioning Tate and, and the kind of, uh, scammy, um, hustle university kind of group of people, right? People yeah. who are trying to sell the dream. Get rich and actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's crap educator crap educators you know people who who try to you know they they you are not a student you are the product i guess in in these kind of things or you you are effectively part of a pyramid scheme like a lot of these um these these uh, get rich quick things are in their own nature 
schemes yeah. where you get taught to invite more people into the course and you totally. get a commission on every sale. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of that going on. And I feel I don't want to be associated with that even in the slightest. I, I probably wouldn't even want to be in the same industry as, as these people are, which is unfortunately entrepreneurship. So yeah. it, it feels I, I'm very actively trying to deflect any association with people like this to, mm -hmm. the, to the extent that I, I don't follow them on Twitter or social media. Uh, if they follow me, I block them or remove them. Like people like this are not mm -hmm. welcome in, in my group, not because they are always wrong because they mm -hmm. are often right. Like they will tell you essentially the same thing. They'll tell you to find people to sell stuff to and solve their problems, which is kind of a good thing. But they say this in a way that costs you $5,000. <laughs> my book is not that, you know, it's, it's a different, it's just a, they, they sell the dream. They sell you on the dream of being like them and yeah. lie to you often, like allegedly right. <laughs> about yeah. what their life is like. Um, not a fan. And don't mm -hmm. want to be associated with this in the slightest. So, but yeah, I, I think um, that pushes me into a corner that I also don't like to be in, which is kind of person that is always super self-doubtful about anything I say and super defensive whenever mm -hmm. somebody, you know, pokes a hole in it. I, I, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tough problem for me. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that when I look at this industry of ed education around entrepreneurship, I have kind of made my peace with the fact that it will always be, be uh, something that I struggle with to, mm. to just find myself be confident enough to talk about it. Confidence is the word. That's what ChatGPT is. It sounds confident. And that, that confidence is something that I would have to fake. And since I don't want to be fake or be around people who like fake, I mm. will not be fake. And that's right. the thing, like how we act, how we embellish or don't attracts people that are prone to resonate with things that are embellished or not. And in my community that I have, I think I've gathered or that has gathered around me, people like honest, people like earnest and people like truthful. And mm. that are, those are the people that I want to attract into my world because I just deal ease more easily with people who don't lie to me, you know, or yeah. who don't have an incentive to lie to, to be uh, like on the same level as everybody around them. So that is the part of our entrepreneurship community that I want to attract. And if there are people in this community who would rather dream of the Lamborghini life, that is wonderful for them. And I, I, it's unfortunate that the only people who they resonate with are those hucksters that take their money and then buy themselves a Lamborghini. That's just the unfortunate reality out there. But yeah. I, I think the audience that you want to serve, that is how you should act. Like be like them, be appear to them. And if that means being honest and a little bit doubtful whenever you say something that you think may or may not be perfect for them, just preface it with whatever you need. It won't be as shiny as selling somebody like a, take this one hour course and make $10,000, but I, I don't need to attract people who like shiny, right? That's, that's kind of, that's, that's the truth that I've found for myself. I don't want to attract people who would be attracted by that kind of stuff. That's a good lens. Okay. So I like that answer, uh, that, you know, ultimately it's a sort of selfish act, right? In the sense that, um, or not a self, not selfish is not the right word, but it's self-serving, right? It's the idea it's that self-preservational. That's yeah, what it is. You're building the community that you actually want to be around versus, you know, attracting the wrong people. Um, I want to throw out like a very interesting devil's advocate position here um, because I've been sort of talking about this. I, I've just found it interesting. I've had a couple of in-person discussions about this recently. Um, so 
I think uh, one thing that you learn when you just get, I would say, like a little more plugged in, right? You have a lot of um, kind of back channel visibility, especially like in the fund and investing world, you see a lot of company data and stuff like that. And, um, you know, just also just having kind of a peer network that has more visibility, you start to learn that there is a lot of, you know, you have the obvious hucksters on one end where like everybody can kind of see this is kind of BS. Um, but there is a very murky gray area where there are a lot of people on social media who significantly embellish uh, either their own success or the performance of their quote unquote, like playbook or guides or masterminds or, you know, whatever the product is. There's a lot of people out there that you, you know, like, well, I know, for example, like, it's like, okay, that's completely not true. Like either the premise that you're sort of selling this on or the performance metrics that you're asserting this sort of like strategy has. There's a lot of people out there that are doing to a varying degree kind of like everywhere from light to heavy embellishment while staying like still well clear of the like outright fraud or just like complete crap. They have like pretty good ideas, but they are really nudging the needle in their favor um, in a lot of uh, slightly questionable ways. Um, they're playing fast and loose with the truth. Let's put it that way. Um, so here's the thing, which is looking at the contour of the consequences for this, right? On the one hand, there seems to be almost no downside to doing this in the sense that um, these folks are still very accepted among professional peers, even when people know they're doing this, right? They're not shunned. They're not only associating with other hucksters. They're still welcome to do whatever, speak at events, join groups, et cetera. Um, you know, show up at dinners. Nobody's like, oh, that person is like, been, they embellish all the time on Twitter or wherever else. Um, there's just kind of no tangible downside to doing this. And there seems to be real meaningful upside, which is that, you know, this kind of embellishment um, tends to grow audiences very fast. Um, and you often see these folks that you know are just making stuff up left and right, building kind of platforms, brands, for example, something like the Calm MBA. You know, it's just very clear that doing this is a very effective growth tactic, right? All things equal. If your content is good, shading the truth to make everything look better just works on the internet because it's just impossible to verify. And like, if you go and look at, sorry, this, I, this is getting a little rambly, but I'm going to wrap it up here, which is there's a, a YouTube channel called Weirdly Coffeezilla. And it's this guy who just like takes down these hucksters, right? He just like goes and does this like kind of pseudo investigative journalism where he kind of just calls out these people for being total frauds. And like nothing happens. Like there's just no example of this YouTube act like actually taking down one of these folks, you know? So the the kind of devil's advocate question here is i mean obviously we're kind of we can't really do this because we're doing this on a podcast and people are going to know right but like is it a good idea to do it a little bit you know <laughs> like it just seems to be only only upside and almost no downside in a world of the internet like what's our best argument for not doing it i guess <laughs> 
I mean, I mean, there are great arguments to do it because there are like immediate wins. That's what you said, right? Like you have, you built your audience more easily and you want more people to see it, right? You like underlyingly think you have like a good mission and good content. Yeah, it might just be self-delusional, like in, in some ways, and and to, in in the way that we kind of that we dream, right? Like uh, most dreams that we have for our lives are delusions until they are either true or proven wrong. So, mm. I mean, in in many ways, our entrepreneurial mission and division that we have, they are just as uh, delusional as what these people do in embellishing their stories. It's just mm-hmm. a different way of being delusional. But mm-hmm. like, I'm so happy you mentioned CoffeeZilla because that's a, one of the few things that I actually, or a few YouTube channels that I actively support on Patreon, for example, yeah. because I think yeah. what this guy is doing is uh, massively important journalism. And that's the thing. Like, There are traces of these things all over the place. And maybe YouTube has an incentive to keep these channels with people like Logan Paul, like with the whole crypto zoo thing that is a debacle. And like, yeah, there have been a couple more. Yeah, yeah you, you should watch this. Like, CoffeeZilla did like a trilogy or a trilogy on, on just that one guy mm-hmm. scamming a lot of people allegedly uh mm-hmm. not just allegedly i think there's now a lawsuit like there there is there there are legal actions to this but they they have to come from somewhere beside the platforms that they right. these people use to amplify their or just even facilitate their scams mm-hmm. or their their questionable activities let's just say that so um i that's that's why i support coffeezilla because he's a, a great youtuber just does it really well and yeah. he's he's very outspoken about uh not just truth, because that is always a questionable thing to begin with, but integrity. And I feel that we are moving in, in the world of creators that I'm part of and that you're also part of. We are moving to a, a much more trust centric even business world that we're in because these people, they get a lot of attention and in the attention economy that pays a lot of money. But yeah. I think particularly with the, the advent of AI, gener- generative AI and conversational AI, this will shift a little bit. We're going to shift from just mere attention to intimacy. Intimacy being like having actual relationships with people or with yeah. AIs. That's the thing. I, I watched a video. I think I wrote about it last week of uh, two AI researchers talking about like the, the big problems that we have with social media are just, you know, everything is attention focused. Every metric is optimized for attention. Well, what's that going to be for an AI for things that can be like people and they can get into your mind. They can build a relationship with you. So, and that's going to be intimacy. Like who do I trust? Like, do mm-hmm. I trust this thing that is just a virtual person? Is it, is it real? Is there a person behind this? Is there like a Turing test somewhere? Like this, there's a lot of um, a shift, a social shift from just mere attention to actual intimacy, supposedly. Mm. Who knows, right? That's yeah. a an, an estimate, a guess somewhere. But I think it's true. And I see this, um, I'm going to write about this this week, because I, I see this in how marketing happens for creators. There used to be a time where you could just get somebody's ad and run it on your show, and they would be happy with it, and your audience would maybe click it, maybe listen to it, maybe do something about it. But that is over. I think now we have so much like creator-centric advertising and sponsorships where the creators are acutely aware of the fact, and I'm taking away from my own podcast here by talking about this, that they, um, they're... The, the, the people who run sponsorships or ads on their podcasts or newsletters or whatever, they're not just purchasing the eyes of their audience. They're actually purchasing a small part of that person's credibility, of that yeah. podcast host's credibility, newsletter author's credibility. And that is not new. Obviously, every advertising is kind of credibility-based. But right. now, 
people know that there are coffeezillas out there that will look at them and they will be very acutely aware if somebody is actually just running a perfectly fine ad, like, I don't know, Squarespace or something as a sponsor, or if it's FTX, right? <laughs> something that has the crypto world, a very questionable authority to begin with, and people just get a lot of money. There, there was this thing with these... Um, uh, Scottish titles. Do you remember? Do you have any idea about that? I think Coffeezilla was talking about this too. No, no, like no. you can, you can get a lord or lady title by purchasing like a fifty dollars certificate by some like company from Hong Kong that has that owns a tiny little parcel of land in Scotland because there's an old Scottish law that. That's great. It's bizarre, and and it's actually not true. Like the the. If you are in Scot, if you own land in Scotland, you're technically a laird, which is the Scottish version of lord, or a lady of that of that place. Like if you own that for residential purposes, that is kind of Scottish law. Oh, so, so everybody that owns a house is a lord. Everybody who owns property that is not just like a novelty uh, a square meter or something or is a square yard. yard or, square foot of Scotland, right? But these companies sell a square foot of Scotland so you can legally call yourself a lord or a lady. It's kind of a novelty gift, but the thing is, in their advertising, which they paid a lot of money for, sometimes six figures for a couple months of running it on popular podcasts and YouTube shows, they were talking as if, or they were getting, giving those, those creators scripts and uh, approval of scripts as if it was actually a legal title. So they were technically selling something that they would not be allowed to sell because there is a bylaw in, in Scotland about these novelty titles not actually amounting to real titles in, in terms of Scotland. So, okay. the, and uh, the Coffeezilla and the, the field of uh, YouTube investigators, which is hilarious that that actually exists as a profession that people can make a living from, just from uh -huh. YouTube uh, money that comes in, they discovered this and they called out so many creators and so many creators were just taking in those, you know, five figure deals, 20,000, 50,000 for running this for a couple months, yeah. looking at it saying, yeah, this is kind of weird, but I'll still say it. That's fine. I mean, it's a novelty gift item. What are you going to do? And yeah. there were like hundreds of high profile YouTubers who fell into this and were called out and had to cut ties with the advertiser, had to publicly apologize on the YouTube channels, which is mm. always hilarious to watch because you can kind of feel how they kind of out there trying to save their reputation but still yeah. not really commit to having not done enough research and that's yeah. the thing that now creators do more and more is yeah. actively research when i get a sponsor on, on my newsletter my podcast i'm now digging into them i'm doing i'm doing due diligence for every single sponsor that goes onto my podcast or my newsletter and mm. if there's anything that looks like a red flag it's a no for me because I know that my trust that I have with the people that I serve with my content is so slowly earned, but so quickly destroyed that one ad or just running one little 20 second segment by the wrong people could completely disrupt or destroy my reputation. And that's yeah. something that that is intimacy because only somebody who actually cares about me would be disappointed when I give them Scottish titles or whatever that was novelty thing was called. Right. If mm -hmm. I'm just some guy peddling something, talking about certain things, I'm kind of entertaining. Yeah. That, that would be different. They would say, yeah, he's just trying to sell this skip, but if they have a relationship with me, just like I want to have a relationship with everybody that listens to me or watches me, then I cannot do this. And this is why I will never even go into this territory because I feel I, I, I value this 
potential intimacy with somebody that shares my brain for the, the hour that they listen to me so much more than the hundreds or thousands of dollars that I could be making. I still need to make money, but mm. I will try to make it on the exact side of like the exact opposite of where hucksters are, right? I want to yeah. be as clear, as transparent, and as honest as I can. And if the people that want to sponsor my work are not, then they're not going to be on there. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I think maybe the argument that you're, or the counter argument that you're making to my, uh, to be clear, this is a devil's advocate. This is not what I actually think, but I just thought it was an interesting thing to sort of spar with. Um, is that you know ultimately there are consequences, right? The the sort of like arc of internet karma uh, might be yeah. long, but it it sort of bends towards justice, and um, you know eventually That's eventually it comes back around to bite you. Uh, although some people do seem to be very effective at just continuously chasing the next audience and the next audience. Yeah, that, that's the thing, right? They, they burn bridges wherever they go. And right. uh, at some point, I'm, I'm sorry for the background noise. I'm having people uh, do some some work in my house at this point. So you are live with uh, my basement being finished. So um, that, what, what I'm, what, I, I have an example for this. Like yeah. I... And when I, when I started writing, I was reaching out to a lot of authors that I really admire and uh, had a chat with one of them, obviously not going to name them, but, uh, th they tried to kind of sell me on maybe building some kind of MLM online education, uh, system with them. I don't was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. That, that was one of those moments where I was like, yeah, I love your books, but boy, am I never going to talk to you again? Yeah. So. And, and they have since moved on to greener pastures, different fields, um, of, of writing. And I'm like, yeah, this, this kind of reputation, it's, it's not just that you burn your reputation with your potential customers, your prospects, which is bad enough. And then you need to move to a different market and kind of rediscover that to begin with if you do these kind of things. But you burn reputation with people in your industry that could generate massive, hopefully, opportunities for you, like potential collaborators, partners, people who are also just as interested as you are in, in making money, maybe not using the same methods, but they still try to, you know, build a business in that field. And boy, like that, every time somebody in private talks to me about that author, they get the story. Like this, I will not shut up about the story because th this is just don't meet your heroes. And they are obviously projecting to be somebody completely different from who they actually are. Yeah. And th that is, that is something that in an industry people will know. And if you want to be known as the person who kind of, you know, tries to scam their way around their, their audience, go for it. But I don't want to be that. So, like, I don't want to close my opportunities. Just like, I don't want to make $10 today if I can make a couple thousand in a, a year from now. That's just, I, I don't, I don't think of in finite games. I don't want to play finite games. I don't want to scam. I don't, that's, you don't see me do like giveaways or that kind of stuff because I know I could make a lot of, you know, get a lot of followers, get a lot of attention, get a lot of hype. But why would I? I was just going to try to get these people one at a time by just having a nice interaction with them because that is what builds intimacy. Like I, I want to attract people who are, who want to respond to me on a personal basis, who want to yeah. build a relationship with me. So yeah, that's, that's my rant and my story. I think I, I think this conversation was really helpful. I feel like I'm coming to a sort of loose conclusion on this topic. I'm, I'm going to try and summarize it and see what you think. So I do think probably you and I have a light version of imposter syndrome on this in the sense that probably we are over-correcting, right? Uh, in terms of over-caveating, over-calibrating you know, and saying or... Um, 
you know, just basically adding even more uncertainty in there than maybe there actually is. Uh, probably we could dial that back a little bit and just, you know, do a version of like what I started doing with my tweets, um, uh, you know, by just sort of saying like, look, it's sort of assumed that like entrepreneurship is a tricky domain. There's no correct answers. This is not physics here. You know, uh, everything that we say is in my experience to the best of my understanding, as far as I can tell, blah, 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 blah. You know, like I'm not going to repeat that over and over and over again. Um, but I think maybe we're making the case for, you know, build in public here as well, right? Which is to have a public conversation about the sort of underlying epistemology of like what is knowable and what's not knowable and you know how we kind of approach that and then just letting folks understand that framework um you know hopefully they they consume both of those things simultaneously um maybe maybe we like clip this and it's part of you know the common ba is like arvin and tyler talk about what mm -hmm. they know and don't know um yeah but yeah, like build in public, right? Just say how we're thinking about it and put that out there as well. And then that maybe gives you license to not certainly not like embellish or anything, but to not feel like you have to constantly caveat and um, yeah, and just feel like, oh, well, can I really say this or not? Like you just say what you think, you know, um, as long as you've told people how you think about it. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things that you've done so well over the last couple of weeks, right? With things not working out so uh, as you expected in in your own business, there is, is something yeah. you said a couple of weeks ago. Is like you just you shared everything, you talked about everything in public. Your decisions were out there, your assumptions were out there. It, it's hard to fill in the blanks if there are no blanks, yeah. and blanks usually are things where people put in the worst of them, like because they have their own doubts and their own things internally that they project on others. So I guess that's the exact point, like. By us just talking about our own insecurity, I think we defeat some of the insecurity because we can always reference this as us honestly sharing our opinion on the topic, right? There's no pretense here. Like, what, what, what's the pretense in, in being vulnerable? Like, can you, can you fake vulnerability? It's probably much, much harder to fake being vulnerable than it is to fake, like, being invincible, right? To, to, to cut only the finest things and show them. That is much easier than to show the whole thing or make up things to, to, to represent that. Yeah. I, th I think you're right. Building public is a great way out of there because it it also invites not just a conversation but empathy it invites empathy of the reader for or the reader the viewer the whatever the, the person on the other side to see that you are a human being trying to make something happen right most of the time when you read a book you read thoughts and if you if you don't think of them as just a kind of something that comes out of somebody's mind you take them as gospel you know, you, you know it's you, you most of the time unless you're reading the bible or the quran or whatever holy book you're reading you're not reading the words of god you're reading the words of man and the right. words of man are as fallible as the person is behind them right yeah. and if if you forget that then you you have you have no empathy for the writer or for the author so i i guess but maybe I'm asking for more empathy by, by people just to, to, uh, who, who consume because that also makes them less prone to take advice that was not meant for them in the first place is mm -hmm. to understand where this is coming from. Maybe anyway, I'm, I'm ranting here, but I, I just, I want to teach people to, <laughs> it's a funny, funny way to say it. Teach people to, um, take less advice differently. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, I, I just would want people to see advice and see, okay, here's an option. Not here's a surefire way to do X in one hour or not here are 10 ways that are guaranteed to X, Y, Z. I just hate these kind of things because they are never true. 
Like mm-hmm. they are literally, they can't be true because if they were, you wouldn't need to state them or you wouldn't state them that way, right? Mm-hmm. You would be more elaborate in actually transporting the information. So yeah, it, looking at anything as potential, not as, um, as a guaranteed way, that would be a good start. Mm-hmm. I really like this topic. I could go on about this forever, but I don't think we should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, yeah no, you know. Right. <laughs> um, so we got a little bit off track with the Calm MBA scheduling, uh, the origin of this podcast. Um, yes. That's my fault entirely. Um, but uh, I think what did we decide Bet- between now and the next uh, episode of this? We want to, I think the last kind of thread we left it on was basically wanting to run some slightly more experimental, more workshop versions of yeah. things. It might be either one day or a couple of days or a weekend or something like that. Um and so I think maybe between now and the next one, we commit to doing the first one. Basically, how long is it going to be? What's the rough agenda? And yes. which exact dates are it? Going yeah, to I think that's important. Yeah, let's, let's, that, that I think uh, is, is a good topic for, for weeks of, of uh, reflective work. Most yeah. importantly, probably when are we going to start this? Because I thrive on deadlines and I fear deadlines at the same time. So this is going to be fun because I also need to, you know, like we, we both need to shuffle around probably a couple things or make sure that we, we overlap and are present for, for that. So yeah, let's think about that. Let's uh, reconvene here in the week and, and have a maybe extended conversation about this. Maybe cut our uh, big uh, exploratory topic a bit short and and get back into the Calm MBA a little bit. I love right. this. It's so nice for, for us to be able to talk about whatever we want in whatever way we want to. It's really enjoyable. But see if we can actually focus on the project that we are we are intentionally building here yeah. again. And um, yeah, let's let's find a a time, a length, and a really rough bullet point content situation. Let's let's work on that and. Talk about it next week. That sounds great. Super. Let's do it. All right. Well, <laughs> okay. do, do we have any anybody to shout out? I don't want to shout out Paul Millard again because we've been doing this forever. But I, I've been reading his work and it's been so enjoyable. But do you have anybody you want to give a big shout out to? Um, yeah. You know who comes to mind is um, Elizabeth Yin. She's an investor at the Hustle Fund. Um, her Twitter handle is very funny. It's Dunk. Dunk Hippo 33, um, D U N K. Um, anyway, Elizabeth is at Hustle Fund. Um, and uh, I just refuted a thread that she had uh, earlier today that was great, just basically on kind of like the state of fundraising. Um, you know, Hustle Fund is, uh, more of, of like a traditional VC, I would say. Um, so coming through things through that lens, but, um, also, you know, one of the few people on Twitter who, from that kind of perspective that really just says it like it is a bit like us, you know, like very bluntly, like doesn't embellish or anything like that. Um, and she had a bunch of great advice, uh, for founders on how to think about fundraising this year. Uh, and just in general, I think is, is a very good follow on the topic. So, um, yeah, Elizabeth. Yeah. I, I love her tweets as well. It's, it's nice to, to have a view into the VC world through her that that mm-hmm. is also in both instructive and intriguing you know yeah. uh, i don't have many people that i uh enjoy reading from, from that world as much as her so that's a that's a wonderful suggestion yeah that's great cool well i'm very much looking forward to now getting right back to work and and work on, on the com mba because i really want to see this progress um that we are about to make over the next yeah. week um well i guess let's catch up again a week from now talk that's to out. you later yeah See ya. Bye. Bye.